Good morning, and welcome to the Social Collectives Podcast. We are on episode 37. Today, we have Brian Tinsman from Pounce, a marketing and business consulting anti-agency. We were so excited, we actually already started the conversation, so let's jump right in. So what I really liked about working with Brian... um, is that it is really just natural, like a flow of a conversation where he can go from like talking about these things with his you know dry sense of humor to suddenly we are in the weeds of marketing and it weaves in so kind of naturally it gives you ideas just because of your conversation. And you just kind of open those doors without like opening it and pushing somebody through it. You just kind of walk like, you know, you open a door and people are like, oh, wait. Let's go back through that door. And then suddenly I've got all these ideas on how I can elevate my own marketing. Mm -hmm. And you really kind of demystify things that would typically confuse somebody. And you say it in a way that connects why you do it to what the results would be. And you're the how. You're the answer. That The how is what puts it all together. So that's what people have to pay for is the how. We'll give you the why. We'll give you the what. We'll give you the, you know, the who. But the how you get all that, that is not free 99. you got to pay for that. <laughs> Plain and it's simple. Yeah. You know, do you walk into a, a store when you need some shoes and think to yourself, oh, wow, my feet are bare, and I do want those shoes, and I need those shoes. Can I have them? You can look at them. You can try them on. When you walk out that door, if you want them, you got to pay for them, you know? And I think people need to start attaching that same mentality to services, like what we do that are not tangible but do have, you know, tangible results that you can put into your purse. So that's one of Brian's superpowers is just, like, teaching you more about how to market without teaching you how to market and just, like, being the subject matter expert who people can just listen to and talk to and have a good time with and then leave with some nuggets of gold like, eh, I could actually work with that guy and maybe it is time for me to invest in my growth and myself. So, uh, yeah, kudos to you for that. Well, thank you. You're no, I appreciate welcome. that. No, I think it's 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 funny to, when you, especially talking to small business owners, you know, people that are really just getting into it for the first time, it's a little bit like the, the Will Ferrell movie, Talladega Nights, where at the beginning he's being interviewed and he doesn't know, he doesn't know what to do with his hands. And so his hands are like coming up in the shot. He's like, I don't know what to do with these. And that's where too many small business owners are like, I don't know what to do with marketing. Like it's a very unnatural thing because people have been made to believe that marketing is a very technical process. Mm. And in reality, there are technical aspects of it, you know, setting up your ad sets and things like that. That can be very technical. But advertising is not the same as marketing. And it's actually, it kind of falls under the whole same umbrella that you would need to care about as a business owner. But the reality is, is that it's just one piece of it. And the technical piece of it is something that you can outsource. It's something that you can learn about. It's Some of them are more intuitive than others. Um, but in reality, I think you just kind of need to be aligned with who are you, who's your customer, what do they need to know? I have a question for you. Yeah. One of the things I see a lot of are people who think sales and marketing are the same thing. Mm. And they're just, obviously they're not. How do you get that across to people? Like what the difference is? Like what kind of analogy would you use to make somebody who's like, well, yeah, if I have good marketing, then I'll get a lot of sales. Or if I have a lot of sales, I must have great marketing. Do you have like something that you like share with people that makes them understand what one really is versus the other? how they work together, but why they're not the same? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great question, and it is something that even 
big, really successful organizations struggle to understand too. It's it's the interconnectedness of it all. So organizations are a lot like a web, and. Yes, marketing and sales are very related because they tend to be lumped together in the same hallway uh, in, in organizations when you think of it like a blueprint. But marketing is also very associated with operations. It should be very closely attached to um, you know, the manufacturing process if you're a product or whatever your service is because, again, marketing is going to get its version of feedback. Sales is going to get its version of feedback, and that feedback is really important to the product. So operations, manufacturing, you know, whatever your organization looks like, all of these things should be pretty closely related and have easy streams of communication. Where marketing is different from sales in particular is that sales is trying to complete the transaction. It's a transactional relationship. Sales can borrow a lot from marketing. You all should be speaking the same language. You should be using the same talking points you know, speaking about the product and the story in the same way. But marketers are storytellers. They're the ones who are building your reputation so that when sales goes out and talks, they're not talking to somebody who's never heard of you before. So marketing is the investment that you are making so that there's awareness. Marketing can get you all the way through two transactions, certainly. You know, that there can be a sales aspect of marketing. There's a marketing aspect of sales. But marketing is, is really, um, if you want to think of it more as your reputation, and so that when a need arises, whenever that may happen, that they think of you first. And that might be today. You might be going to somebody who says, I have a problem, and you have a solution, and I want to talk about that. It could be somebody who, you know, using your shoe analogy goes, you know, I don't need shoes today, but man, the next time I, I do, I'm going to buy those shoes. And I know someone who might need shoes, so I should tell them about this place because these are some nice shoes. Exactly right, yeah. I love your web analogy because when you said that, I was thinking to myself, so marketing is that, that spider, is the business owner building that web. But if she builds that web up in the corner of a barn, she's going to get more flies who are the customers who now get stuck in her web and now... That's a sale because she gets to eat that fly. She's like, ooh, I just, I just got, I just got. I a love sale. this analogy. I want to see how deep you can go with this. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> don't wait till I get to the sticky part. So yeah, so the, the the web captured that fly, which is the customer that now you know she's got a shorter sales cycle because she just eats the customer. So that's really good. Yeah, exactly right. Eating but, the customer is is the, uh, the the bottom line here. Right, right. She eats the customer, but if that spider built that web at a condo high rise in New York City, where there aren't a lot of flies, where there aren't a lot of, you know, things that could get stuck in it, except for debris and, you know, litter, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, all that kind of weird stuff that she can't eat. Well, now her web, oh my God, this is about to get really good. Now her web is full of trash that she cannot eat. So she has to pick all of that out of her web, rebuild it. But if she rebuilds it in that same corner of that condo in New York, She's still not going to get any flies, even though she's got a beautiful web. So she's got to move to the country where the flies are. There you go. There you go. I love that. I, I, you brought it home. I didn't know if you were going to be able to, but you sure did. Um, no, that, that, it's such a good point, though, because, again, it, it really is, you know, you need to hang out where your customers are. Or, and I, I say customers because it's a lot of businesses, but if you're a nonprofit organization, it's your donors. If, it's, if you're an early-stage startup and you're looking for investors, you know, so whoever that key audience is, whoever that stakeholder is. Like the advocates. Yeah. You know, that could become evangelist type of thing. Exactly. Yeah, right. Anybody who has bought from you before, you want 
want you know them to buy from you again. You want to incentivize them telling their friends all the things that you talked about, and that really gets into relationships, which is. Um, Ding ding is is really where where you excel is you know how do you maximize the people that are already in your network exactly or your community if they're if they're not known to you right now so you know what are some of the most important things we talked about being relatable and likable but you know what does that look like well that's exactly it and so it's a pretty simple concept when your business is marketing and or sales you get the difference between the spider the web and the fly but when your job is just to be you know you're building uh, bookshelves or you're selling candles or whatever it is you didn't go into business to become that type of an expert and that's why people have to get their heads around, okay, unless you've got all the time to you know, go to class and get a certification and do all of your market research and all these things to build your business, that's the kind of thing you let somebody else who was built for that, somebody else who did go into business to help be a king maker or queen maker and help other people do that. This way you can focus on what you love building, making, selling, and let us worry about the relationship building part of it, uh, help you to do that. You do the transaction, which is sales. So marketing is the relationships you build that leads to the transaction. And people need to stop thinking that marketing is transactional. And so when you're able to put those things together, uh, usually I use baseball for an analogy, but today the spider and the fly with your web thing, I was like... (laughs) That's it. So, so yeah. So what, what do you think people, especially like we have a lot of solopreneurs and, you know, great entrepreneurs who are actually successful, but are, can't either scale or are at this, you know, analysis paralysis point where they don't even know which thing to give up. Like you said, the Talladega Nights, I don't know what to do with my hands thing. What do you see as their biggest question that you can solve or that when you outsource their marketing, that will be solved for them? That's a great question. So where I tend to plug in with organizations is people who feel like they're at an inflection point. And and that can be many things. It can be a startup that is going from idea to, you know, to launch. Mm -hmm. And it can be any organization that is adding in a new product or service. It can also just be people who are starting to see the flat line of revenue or even dipping down, Mm -hmm. you know, and and they start to panic. And the reality is that I think that the, you know, again, we can kind of speak in, in high-level tropes on this, but the world is changing very quickly. Very, very much so. And the things that were important even two years ago, which were different from the things that were different two years before that, I think that organizations need to be thinking in with a nimble mindset right now and, and how do we move quickly to address different needs. What were the things that were so, so, so important back in 2020. Was there something that happened in 2020? Hmm. Hmm. Drank a lot of wine, ate a lot of cookies for breakfast. Hung out at home. That was great. Yeah, no judgment. <laughs> right. I lived in stretch pants. Yeah, that all happened. That's right. That's right. But the things that, that we cared so much about you know, then and that were of the highest importance then aren't even on the radar anymore. Yeah. And you can see organizations that have sort of followed followed the wave on on customer trends and and what you know what is most important and I'm just using that as an example. There are, there are many uh, mm. applications and, and ways that, that has changed. Technology is changing very quickly. You know, everyone's uh, talking about AI and what's going to happen with that. You know, I I, I know we're we're in this beautiful musical space here, and everyone's just you know just making the assumption that AI is going to replace everything that we love and all that's wonderful in the world. Okay, you know, but how do how is your organization 
embracing the change that mm-hmm. that is coming its way, maneuvering, educating, staying on top of these trends. So, you know, I think that that's these are all times when people just sort of pick their heads up and go, maybe I need an outside consultant on this. Maybe maybe I need some perspective and context and to kind of figure out to navigate for for the people who aren't in marketing every day to say where are the trends going? Because I think where we've been for the last I'll even say 20 years during sort of the social media phase of of the internet is this idea of building audiences. So you mentioned that before with getting people into your web. Right. There was such a priority and emphasis on building the biggest possible Facebook page, the biggest possible Twitter following. Now, you know, there's a big shakeup. People don't even know if they want to be on Twitter. Facebook, the algorithm changes, and all of a sudden they can't leverage the audience that they've built. And I think... You know, one other point that you mentioned earlier, Renee, is that people have gotten so used to this idea of free services, not realizing that they were the product all along. Aha, there uh, it is. That's the, it's very uncomfortable for people to it pick is. that up when they realize that they, they feel bamboozled or, you know, used. Or it's like, well, wait a minute, you got something out of this too, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. You got a free dinner, you know? Don't, don't complain. That's right. <laughs> well, and it's, 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 it's not an obvious transaction, but it was transactional all along, you know? And, and so what you've done for your business, if you were building over the last 20 years, a, a huge Facebook audience, for example, is that you drove engagement for Facebook, and they sold a lot of ads based on your content. Congratulations. Facebook. Hopefully you made money off of that as well. Yeah. Um, they sure did. Yeah. So so now I think we're seeing this shift, and, and I'll take it out of the technical and into the, the practical. There's a, the whole idea around first-person and third-person data. So this is where people's eyes cross, so I'm going to bring it home for you quick. <laughs> first-person is just think about it as your friends. It's people that you know, and it's people that you have the contact information for. If you opened up your phone today, you could pull up 100 numbers of people that are your first-person contacts. And that's where data privacy is going. So, and this is being driven by a lot of the, you know, the Googles and the, the Amazons and Metas and all that good stuff. But the reality is we're moving away from this idea of being able to target people with ads right. in the way that we have. So where we're moving towards is you need to capture people's information and you need their permission to use it. And that's the most important thing. That's the piece that was missing before is we just had access to it. We didn't have to ask for it. There wasn't a door to walk through. It was just an open bay and you could just make yourself seen. And then people, whether they wanted to or not, were given, you know, an access to you. Mm -hmm. Well, now there's doors that are in place and you just have to be able to have somebody who is willing to open that door. And that is a big difference. The problem is I don't think a lot of consumers or even business owners in many cases understand Understand what they're saying yes or no to mm-hmm. when it comes to that. Last week I was at Meta and I was at their headquarters in DC and we were talking about the privacy issues and what it is that has changed for marketing, for ads, for the way that people see us on social media. And we were talking about what we liked or didn't like about that Meta certified blue check. And so that type of conversation went around sharing it as both a creator and then also as a business owner and a page and what the restrictions currently do to keep you from being able to get back into your Facebook audience. But what are the benefits? How do you use it now? So it's just like giving somebody who is used to using a hammer, giving them a robot that actually has a hammer attached to it. They don't know how to use the robot. They just want their hammer back. Well, I'm sorry, you can't have your hammer back. It's now built into this robot. So... 
here's how you use your robot. You know, you just got to, I'm sorry, it's just the way it is. It's not two cans and a piece of string anymore. It's a cell phone, you know? So, yeah. so I think that's it. I think there's the fear of change. The fact that we were getting a lot of these things with either a, a smaller spend um, with a static audience or no spend at all and just organically being able to be in front of so many people. So it's, it's a transition. So that's a big one. But I want to go back to what you said about AI. I was really pissed when I found out about ChatGPT. I'm like, I'm a writer, Mm-hmm. And you are too, Brian, sure. right? Yeah. We both write creatively. You can also write technically, but, you know, I'm a writer and I'm like, these robots are taking all my jobs, you know, type of attitude, which is so not true. So once I finally got over being mad about my cheese being moved, old term, <laughs> huh? you remember the book, right? It's good. It's good. Move my cheese. Man, I got to read that book again. It's going to still be applicable, by the way. Yeah. I think we just found our new sponsor for this episode, by the way. All right. I like it. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so your cheese has been moved. And so once I got over basically the grieving process of losing my cheese, I'm like, okay, well, I guess I better navigate this maze and go find it because I'm still hungry. And I actually was working with my business coach, and she showed me all these things. And I was like, you are so smart. How did you come up with all this? She's like... Girl, I chat GPT'd every bit of this, and then I made it personal to my business. It gave me a framework to work within, mm-hmm. and I used that to actually make my, my, my sentences stronger. They're going to resonate better with people because it's something that AI already knows. This is what the web told me that they want to hear. This is what those search you know, um, engines and what, what people have been looking for. All they did was do all the hard work on the back end, the administrative, if you will, part of it. And then I'm able to take it and apply it to my methodology. This is my amazing coach talking. And now we're doing that with your business. And this is how you use it. Man, this is why I was up until three in the morning because I was doing some good chat GPT. And granted, I changed probably 60% of what it was to make it fit the purposes that I had, but it organized my thoughts. And so it is not robots taking all your jobs. It is actually shortcutting your creative process and actually giving you the right kind of like SEO friendly maybe or whatever types of language that can really help you. And so it's once you get over being afraid of it, this is not that Will Smith movie where suddenly <laughs> the robots are coming after you and your dog. Yeah. It's, it's not AI that's <laughs> taking your job. It's the people who are utilizing AI who are taking your job. Bingo. Do you use AI? Um, All or the time. What else do they call it? Machine learning? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they prefer? Do, do the machines prefer to be called machine <laughs> learning or artificial <laughs> intelligence? They'll let us know in time. That's right. right. Yeah, it's, it's funny. My, my wife always, uh, when she's talking to Siri or Alexa, always says, please and thank you. And I, I, I laugh at her and she goes, you wait. Yeah. You wait. You you'll be apologizing to yeah. them in due time. And yeah. No, but yeah. in all seriousness, I, I I agree. I think it's I think it's a great thing. And you know, I, I think anyone now can look back and say, Oh, it wasn't a bad thing that we all went to laptops. It wasn't a bad thing that we all went to having Google in our pockets, you know, right. with with uh you know, and 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 even having access to Google. I mean, no one is bemoaning the the loss of encyclopedias at this point. So with all of these things, and, and I'm not totally downplaying AI. I think it's transformational tech, technology, sure. and I think it's things that, you know, 
a conversation for another time in another place, you know, there's probably some limitations that, that we need to think about. And then there's people who are going to abuse it, just like oh, anything else. Absolutely. There's always that yin to that yang. You bet. So, but, you know, do you, you really can't decide your marketing based on what the bad guys are going to do or what the worst thing that could happen would be. You know, just, you know how sometimes businesses will make a rule because of the exception that happened? You had 10,000 people drink your coffee and everything was fine. Suddenly one woman burns herself on hot coffee and now you have all these changes to the way that the rules work. Yeah. And what happens sometimes when people get so like draconian with those rules, you end up alienating the 9,000 of those people who were already drinking your coffee that are now like, oh, well, now this product isn't for me. It's so stylized for this woman who doesn't understand that hot coffee will be hot. Um, I'm just going to go someplace where I can be the smart coffee drinker that I am. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, so, so you have to really be, you just got to be mindful of it like anything else. And again, it's one of those kind of intangible things that people fear, don't understand, don't understand how to leverage. When I figured out exactly how it could actually work for me, I was no longer insulted mm -hmm. that somebody could quote unquote write better than me. I'm like, look, I wrote all the copy for my website. I've been writing a book for 20 years. I mean, I'm only on chapter three, but I don't know what that character is <laughs> going to do next. <laughs> when I, I'm going to ask chat GP. No, I'm not. And keep that one as my own. But with, for business, man, the way it can really help you is something that's special. And there's a bunch of different chat GPT products out there. There are. Right? So have you guys seen, since you, you use it, have you seen some different ones that are better than others? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking, okay, if I Google chat GPT, I get all these things. Which one is right for me, my industry? How does it work? I mean, uh, I just want someone to be my easy button, right? But so tell me about your AI experiences. What do you, what do you, what do you use? How do you use it? And how are those tools differing? Sure. You want to take a shot at Well, as far as from what I know, all models are pretty much based off of ChatGPT. OpenAI is the parent model. Now we do have things like Bing, which just came out with their version and as far as that I know, if you're paying for ChatGPT through OpenAI, actually what Bing has done has incorporated ChatGPT into its own native network. So by just going on Bing, you are already using ChatGPT4. So as long as you're using ChatGPT, <laughs> I think you're pretty much golden. <laughs> right? uh, it's the big one right now. And everybody, there are a bunch of other ones that are using its model and kind of cloning it. But for the most part, ChatGPT is the one. And now there are limitations with it. But as I keep on telling everybody is, is it's only six months old. Yeah. Right. And that's that's what everybody kind of keeps on. Is, oh, but it's imperfect. I'm like, it's really young. Yeah. <laughs> wait, yeah. just wait until it gets better and better. And yes, right now there is a big scare with the president of Google. Uh, there's a couple other big ones that they all recently met on the Hill with Kamala Harris. And they're kind of scared about where it's going in the next couple of years, which is very understandable. Uh, even Elon Musk said in t by 2029, we will we'll have super AI, which 
right now, ChatGPT and its AI is what they call narrow AI. Mm -hmm. So it's not able to become self-aware. But we are on the track of getting to that point. I think that's where all the big heads are kind of scared. They're saying, okay, but let's try to slow that process down as much as possible. It's going to happen, mm -hmm. but let's try to put the brakes on a little bit and try to mediate some of what's going on before we get there. Because if, if we continue on the track that we are now, mm -hmm. it's going to get out of control. So, so how do we keep our Frankenstein from, you know, you know, banging all the villagers over the head? We've got to control this monster. Right, right. But, but I think the big takeaway really is right now is we have a – we have a technology that is available to us as business owners. And just like your coach, Renee, to be able to utilize that within our business to help us get that upper hand, to help us organize, to get a template, and to help us move forward when we may be stuck or be able to go to a client and have that much more information. Yes, we're good and we're experts on our own, but to be able to kind of just go to ChatGPT for a little bit extra mm -hmm. and be able to then have that for our clients so that can give them that, that, that push that they may need on top of what we are already giving them is just going to make you as a business owner shine even more. You are so right. What I saw when I was using it last night was the fact that it opened up my eyes, not only to ask the question about what my client wanted, I was able to use that same type of format to now find out what my clients feared. And then I was able to take that set of information and then how does this solution, how does my solution make them feel at the end? And so, and that's what my coach put together in this matrix. And she's like, you take this column to make this column. Now you change it just a little bit. And now you take those two and now you're kind of come up with this. Oh my God, if I don't close people with what she has put in front of me, it's my fault. Because she built an amazing web in a place full of cow manure so that there are flies everywhere. And I'm going to be the fattest spider on the block. <laughs> <laughs> I love that analogy. So in, and you touched on something really important there is that it's funny because OpenAI kind of went from being non-existent yep. last fall to being you know, the underlying engine of all of these tools. And there's new tools every day. I mean, literally, you can't keep a finger on the pulse of it. Right. I have five newsletters in my inbox just so I can glance at them and say, huh, that's interesting, yeah. and kind of move on. You know, it, it is interesting because even last fall, I was using other models that were much less developed. You know, the nice thing about OpenAI is that it is an open source technology so that mm -hmm. anyone can just sort of pick it up and put it under, you know, the tool that they're operating and boom, they get all of the data input. That is the strength of artificial intelligence is how many data sources are there? Yeah. So there were other AI tools before that. Most of them were prohibitively expensive or not very well developed. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that, again, even this time last year and even probably up through last fall, if you were to go and generate an image on, there were a couple tools that were pretty good at the time, but mid-journey is sort of the, the go-to now. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. the big one. That's the big one. <laughs> but even up through last fall, it would generate nightmare fuel, which is you know, which was basically if you asked for a picture of of Renee, it yeah. would give you a you know a beautiful picture of Renee. 
but you had six fingers. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> third arm. But a third arm, and there was a horse in the background that had the head of a chicken and horns and, you know, all of this stuff that kind of freaks people out for good reason. Um, right. But basically, you would get the subject just right, mm-hmm. particularly your face. It got faces really well. Okay. It had some trials and tribulations before that. But it started to get faces really well, but the background wasn't so good. Then all of a sudden, you know, the next iteration is that it stopped putting so much nightmare fuel in the background. It stopped going from six fingers down to five fingers. You know, like there were some some things like that. The eyes always matched. So it's getting better very quickly. And I think that's another key is that it is such a young technology. It is moving so quickly. It is getting so much better. And right now, I don't think that business owners should be concerned Maybe concerned another part of their brain with the the ethics of it, perhaps. Where is the information being drawn from? Where is it going? That's more my concern. If, mm-hmm. if we were to talk about concerns, is how is this information being used? So, I think before you start inputting all of you know, just sort of like early days of Facebook, people would would put their most intimate details out there on the internet. Continue to have that skepticism because when you're in Chat GPT, that interface feels very personal. It's very clean. It's really scary how personal. If you put yeah. the right cues in, how much it like is actually intuiting what you are trying to say. If you put that sentence in the right, that, that if you phrase your question for them or what you ask them for mm-hmm. in the right format, it is. It seems like it's reading your mind, and that was. I was like, oh my god, this is so dangerous. I do not want anybody else to know what I'm thinking. And now ChatGPT knows what's in my brain. Oh my god, it, it was really weird. It was. It was a little invasive, to be quite yeah, honest. It is. Yeah. It is, and, and and I think if you're looking for tools that are sort of that next step beyond ChatGPT, and there will be other ones that come out. So by the time this podcast is is published, there will be better tools than anything I could mention right (laughs) Right. now. But there are ones that are starting to create sandboxes. And I I would say if you're a business owner looking for the right tools, look for things like that, where it is not drawing so much from everywhere. It's drawing from your own personal brand, your own personal story, and it can start to spit out answers that are most appropriate for you. Mm -hmm. You can still do that within ChatGPT. As you mentioned, it's all about the way that you create a prompt right now and, you know, the phrasing and the context that you provide so that it gives you the best output. But they are creating ones that remember a little bit better. You know, ChatGPT kind of, you can break it off by chat, by mm-hmm. conversation. In this one, you are playing the role of a, you know, a marketing copywriter. In this one, you are answering my tax question. Don't ask your tax questions. But <laughs> if you do, at least go verify it. But right. trust yet verify. That's right. Exactly. And that's that's really where we are. You know, I think that that nails it right there. Is that is exactly where we are right now is use it as a tool. You know, use it as as a calculator. If you got a, a bad number back or a bad answer back from your calculator, you wouldn't just take it on faith. You'd go, that doesn't seem quite right. So you can still check these things. Yeah. And and I think there are there are a million ways to do that. That you know, go pop it into Google. See if you get the same answer. Because all of this information is being drawn from somewhere. It's not magic. Right. And I think that the opportunity that exists within that, I think, bring that kind of back to where you started, is that. Where I'm not worried about AI, quite honestly, and I don't know what that means my job will be in five or ten years, Mm -hmm. but I can tell you this, that I think creative people are always going to have a a spot because there is always going to be an underlying need for input. 
There's always going to be an underlying need for content, for stories, for uniqueness, for authenticity that you were mentioning earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I do think that as a culture, you know, if you sort of split off one piece of AI and look at you know where our culture is going with the influence of AI, I think that the people who are more real, who lean into being more human, I think those things are going to shine through. Because you know, you can stand up a business using AI. You can stand up a whole business, whole website, whole marketing presence in a matter of hours now. But can you convince somebody that you're real? I think you're going to have trouble with that. You need to really shine through, and your personality and what your story is is, is going to be not just what connects us, because that's always been the case. It's going to be what is the most important thing moving forward is just how human are you? So moving away from AI and they're right now in a lot of the circles that I study and research, there's a huge push on story. Mm -hmm. And could you tell the listeners why that is so important? Because I see a lot of people who, yeah, I hear this thing, story is important. Yeah, got it, got it. But I'm pushing my brand and my and oh yeah. And and for some odd reason, there's not this connection that needs to happen between your brand and story and how important story it is. And really, what is story? And how does that relate to your audience? There seems to be a little bit of a disconnect between there. If I just run ads and if I just kind of market in the traditional way. I'm good. I'm golden. But there's a disconnect between this idea of story and what really story does for you and why it's important. Do you want me to take a stab at that one first? Sure. Yes. Okay. So I, <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm going to answer your Taking question. These notes. I'm going to take, I'm, I'm going to answer your question around the question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause why story matters, I think is, is as ingrained as humans. You know, we have, developed, however you choose to view the world, we have developed as humans based on stories. And that there is something very innate about that. That is perhaps what it means to be a human. It's been around since the caveman days. Exactly. Right. Why do we draw pictures on cave walls? That's Why right. do we tell stories around the fire? It is the exact same thing. It brings us meaning. It yep. brings us context. And it gives us a path forward. So, you know, we can get deep into philosophy later. But, you know, I think that's that's one of the most important things. I'll, I'll pose a rhetorical question back to you. Why are Marvel movies so much more impactful and important than DC Comics? Because they tell better stories. Not only that, they tell formulaic stories. Marvel tells the same story over and over again, but they tell it so well. They have a patented approach. You can look this up. They basically have 11 turning points, Mm -hmm. and each one of their stories will incorporate maybe seven of those. You know, maybe with the big ones, it's 11. But essentially, you, you kind of mix and match, and you go, here's the story arc. And so that's what we talk about a lot. So there's a, there's a hero arc. There's also, you know, something that has sort of risen up in the last few years is, is this idea of sort of the victim empowerment arc as well, which mm-hmm. is slightly different from the hero arc. But, you know, if you're not jazzed up about Marvel and comics, then think about Star Wars or Rocky or any of these very basic storylines where you're like, I know exactly what's going to happen in this story. But you're going to watch it anyway, yep. right. and you're going to feel something. Because the journey to that end that you know is coming is full of twists and turns, or you just have fallen in love with that character. You've fallen in love with that character, and I think even more importantly, and especially as this relates to marketing, is that you identify with that character. Relatability. The, one of the big, big, big things 
is transformation. Yes. And if you can show transformation in your business, that is the biggest thing that you can do. Yeah. Well, and, and, and to author another rhetorical out there, just to, just to sort of draw in something else that's just you know, crazy outside the box, but it's true. Why do people buy lottery tickets? Just in case. You're not going to win, but for an hour or, or a day or you know, however long until that, that drawing happens, you get a chance to think about how your life would change if you did win. Oh my gosh, that is so true, right? You're buying that, that opportunity and that chance, even though you know the odds are so against you, but oh, yeah. someone's going to win. Someone's got to win. Yeah. That's, Why not me? That's, that's even the, uh, if you look at some of the lotto <laughs> like taglines, it, it yeah. it's, it's so cynical. It's like, yeah, well, someone's got to win. Yeah. And, and, uh, but, can't but, win if you don't play. That's right, can't win can't if you don't win play. If you don't play. <laughs> But that's exactly what it is. It, it, it is this idea of I can be something bigger, better, stronger, faster than I am right now. And it is that idea of transformation, that hope of, of being able to find yourself in that situation that I think takes people out of whatever, you know, gets us bogged down in our day to day. So that's why story is, is so important. And if your product is that transformational piece and that, that, that's so much of marketing is, is your product or service, your solution is saying with this thing, you could be that thing you want to be. Exactly. I am the solution. You could be a better dad. You could be a, you know, a, a happier, happier wife, happier business owner. I have the cheat codes and I have the secret to how you can get what you want. You're not, it's not your fault that you're struggling. It's not your fault that your audience is no longer, you know, responding to the same things you've done year after year because everything's different. What was your business like two years ago? Is it exactly the same as it is today? Well, neither is your audience. And so people have to really get out of this almost a silo of thought of how do I sell more and think about how do I create more people who see and want what I have? How do I, how do I get people to relate more to not just my product, but to me? For example, with my business, I don't just look for people who are wine or beer drinkers. I look for people who buy Lamborghinis because guess what? They can afford my product without even thinking twice about it. So I make sure that that luxury audience knows, hey, here's another luxury thing you can do. And it's and that is really what worked. When I changed my audience in my ads to reflect their interests, not just their age or their location, it brought in a whole new set of people who really did want what I, I sold, I just wasn't going after them. I wasn't telling them that I existed. And so understanding how to create that adjacent audience is definitely a part of when you tell your story, you're saying things that those people will relate to. And that's the biggest thing. You know, you hear the term story selling, right? And for me, when I do it, and I don't know if this is the official way that it's done because I'm very self-taught. My Google food was really, really strong back in 2020. But what I decided to do was when I'm telling my story to a particular audience, I pick things out of my 52 years of life that will relate to that. So if I'm trying to talk to moms who want to go out for a day, my story is going to include my son, how he drove me to drink, and now I drive (laughs) others to do the same. (laughs) Right? But if I'm going to be selling to a corporate group, they don't care about my, my son or the fact that I want to escape. There I'm talking about when I was on a team, we did these team building things that really brought us all together, brought down, you know, inhibitions and 
blah, blah, blah. It's still the same story. It's still authentic. It's just being told to that audience and the way that, you know, what they can relate to outside of the product. They relate to my experience. They relate to me and who I am. And I guess that's where being likable or relatable comes in because if you are neither, yeah, your story might keep propelling people, you know? So you have to really figure out who you're telling it to and massage that. It's trial and error. Nobody gets it right every time or the first time necessarily. You know, there's plenty of ways to be in business and to actually enjoy that part of the journey. And that's the other piece that I really get across to my clients is like, you want to weed out the people that you don't want. And you do that with this trial and error by figuring out what doesn't work, what doesn't resonate. Delight in that. This is not a straight line. This is not an A, B, C. You know, it's a, oh, look, there's a squirrel, B. Oh, wait, what's going on over at F and G? Let's just check that out. Oh, okay, yeah. Z, what? Okay. Oh, and then C. You still get there, but you get all this information from what doesn't work, Mm -hmm. from different types of audiences, and from trying different uh, mediums. You don't have to be on all the platforms. But you do have to take that journey to figure out which one is right for you, not just because that's where your clients are, but that's because where you're comfortable. I know that I've got visual products that could be very TikTokable. I cannot do it because I will go down a rabbit hole of watching these people do the dumbest things and I will never get any work done. So if I'm going to do TikTok, somebody's going to do it for me because I won't be successful at it just because of who I am, even if I've got clients there. And so I guess that's the part where people have to start recognizing where they didn't go into business, become marketers, trust people who did to help you get that who, that what, that why. And now they're the ones who do the how for you. That's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I love the two, the two misconceptions that I hear the most are, I want to do a nationwide launch and my product is for everybody. Mm. So I, I can be all things to all people everywhere. And that's a problem. Unless you're toilet paper. Well, unless you're toilet paper. <laughs> not many things. Not many things. True. As, yeah. But Re- Renee right. is here for toilet paper. Yeah, but, ev- right, but everybody right. else, listen up. No, it, it is very important that even if you are toilet paper, right, you cannot sell nationwide all at once. And the perfect example that I, that I love to bring up to people is you love Ben and Jerry's, right? Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? They started in a Vermont gas station. Just two hippies selling ice cream. And now they're nationwide, they're worldwide now. They are a globally loved and renowned brand because they stayed in that gas station in that community, I think it was in Burlington, for you know, a, a significant amount of time. They dominated their local, their local network. They grew their reputation locally, organically, and added to it when it made sense. They didn't launch with 50 different types of ice cream. Right. They scaled up. They scaled up, mm-hmm. exactly. You add in a new product. You add in a new location. You add in a new audience type. And each time you are, you know, I think where Renee and I bring a, a great combination of, of skills that is not quite so obvious on the surface is that I approach things as problem solving and Renee is good at delighting. It is, you know, two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. But it's essentially how do you sell a high-end product? Well, it, it's not always going to be solving problems. If you need to get from point A to point B, then buy a Corolla. 
But if you want to do it in style and you want to do it in a, in a way that is amazing and, and brings out the best in your life, then yeah, a Lamborghini. Absolutely. Exactly. It depends on what that person wants from that experience. Mm-hmm. If being in the car is not an experience for you, it's literally just a means of transportation. You're not my ideal client when I am a Lamborghini dealer. Mm-hmm. But if you are all about you know being in your vehicle, when you pull up to someplace, you want to make sure that you are seen or you just love that whole, that's your thing. That's like what your passion is, is these fancy cars and all these things. Well, then that's a different one. But if your audience is just people who have driver's licenses and need to drive cars, that's not everybody. You've got to really funnel down a bit on who your audience really is to get to that right person. And I love what you said about the misconception that people have about going nationwide all at once. You've got to outgrow your stretch pants. That mm-hmm. is my style of growth. More money is not more profit. And, you know, more locations isn't necessarily the way to actually grow. It's just like people who always think they have to hire a massive team instead of, number one, leveraging the talents and skills of the people you have. But two, what technology can you get to do these things so that you don't have to have so many more people? You don't have to introduce the human element into things that can be automated. And so understanding all of that is something that, Brian, when we, you and I are looking at a business, we can look at these things and say, oh, well, this is you know what you're doing. I mean, you can't follow XYZ's model with your product because you're not the same demographic. You're not the same price point. There are so many reasons why you shouldn't take the, I don't know, Quiznos approach, using a rat to sell your subs. But by the way, I loved Quiznos subs. <laughs> Is Quiznos officially dead? Did you know they had a pepper bar? <laughs> <laughs> they, there's very few of them left. I was going to say, I, I don't know that I've seen one in 10 years. So. And yet, but I loved, I like their subs so much more um, than like, you know, the other brands that are out there. <laughs> I don't want to alienate any other This brings up two ideas in yeah. terms of, I think it's really important to, I think there's a lot of businesses who want to stay neutral because they want to appeal to a, a wider mm. audience where the exact opposite is true. I think you want to polarize your audience. I think you want to lean into possibly some of the more things that may not go down with a lot of people because then you're going to attract more of your specific audience. That's the point. You is it going to shrink my, my, my audience to the point where I don't get any clients or is it going to streamline my audience so that the ones I do have are the ones who are spending It is more, more. important to have a hundred of your best customers than to have a thousand of your most blandest customers. Thank you. (laughs) I preach that all the time. I would much rather have my Facebook page with 700 followers that generate five sales a month for me than a 10,000 person page that might get me one sale if any. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's so much psychology around that too, but you're absolutely right, Aaron. And people get caught up on these vanity numbers Mm -hmm. and don't really look in the back end and say, okay, yeah, 
oh, you've only gotten a couple of engagements on this post. Uh, or all month, you've only got 50 instead of the 5,000 you had two years ago. But when I look at your analytics on the back end of your site, your traffic is up by XYZ percentage. And by the way, it's coming from that same platform mm-hmm. that you're not seeing that front end engagement on. Yeah. Don't worry about the vanity. Watch what's happening yeah. in the back in the you know, in the background. Yeah. And that's where you're going to find that gold. And that's where you're going to understand that just because it doesn't look like it in the front that all this is happening, what really is going on down here is what we can, you know, as marketers, understand, analyze, explain, and then react yeah. to. And really leaning into those, once you get into your analytics and looking at them, really leaning into this idea of the Pareto principle and understanding that 20% mm-hmm. of your audience and really leaning into that 20%, not the 80%, but the 20 and really capturing that audience. Or maybe it's maybe it's content and saying what 20% of your content is really resonating with your audience. That's really driving that 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 customer. That's really what you want to really focus on is that that idea of what's your 20%? Where are those people coming from? What content are they consuming? What services are they buying? And that's really going to take your business to that next level. I'm going to ask you this question about that 20%. So what makes them actually the better client to go after? What does that 20% do that the 80% wouldn't do? Like, what do you think that they, or Brian, you know, I'll throw that over to you too. Like that 20%, what makes that person, um, you know, or that, you know, that, that profile of that person, Make them the ones that you really want to have on your team. Why are they better than the other 80% that are still on your... I would say engagement. Right. They're going to talk about your business. They're the ones who are bought in. They're now your evangelists. (laughs) You know, they're, they're the ones that get what you do tell others what you do. They're influential to others. And I'm not talking about influencers. You know, my mom is extremely influential and she still puts dancing babies on, you know, (laughs) Facebook. She still puts something on my wall and she thinks she's texting me. Okay. She is not a social media influencer, but if anybody has a question about anything to do with newborns, she is the one they go to. And if my mom said, use this baby powder instead of that one, that is exactly what they don't even question why she says it. If she says it, they do it because she, they know that she's an expert. She uses that kind of product all the time. And she's, I know her. I know Sylvia. She's a very honest person. She's not getting paid by XYZ talcum powder company. Mm-hmm. She really does use it on babies' butts. And so those 20% are the ones that are trusted by their circle, and therefore they become your marketing team because they want to be the smartest one in the room a lot of times. Sometimes they are when it comes to their product. So that's what the 20% is for me, is those people. Yeah, I think another element of what that 20% looks like is those people will buy from you because of who you are. Not in Mm. spite of, not because you're the generic or the default, but because you've taken some sort of position on something. Comes mm. back, it comes back to the story and relatability. It, it, it does. Yeah. Define who you are and, and work in that whole 
as the coach says, zone of genius. And, you know, the thing that she says that really cracks me up is throw rocks at your enemies. So at first I was like, oh, I don't want to insult anybody, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, but how do you do that without actually insulting? And there are really cool strategies around how you can differentiate yourself without running a negative, you know, slam campaign. But you can let people draw that conclusion themselves on, oh, that kind of sounds like what XYZ does. I'm familiar with that. You do something better than that. Okay. But what that does is by throwing that out there, it creates an opinion in your customer. If you are neutral, you walk away with, okay, I've got the message. Great. But if you throw something at an audience member or a customer that makes in their brain some kind of decision-making process, they're either on your side or not on your side, that's really what you want them to do. You want them to go through that process. Yeah. You're so right. Well, and I think the other thing, too, if you're breaking it down to psychology, because I think a lot of people are still going to follow the Michael Jordan, well, Republicans buy sneakers, too. He <laughs> allegedly didn't say that, but he totally did. <laughs> he swears he didn't, but he totally did. Um, no, I, I think, you know, on a psychological level, you need to be honest about what people are bombarded with every day. So the... The rule of thumb is that you know we're hit with 10,000 marketing messages a day, and that is from the, the minute you wake up and look at your phone of the pop-up notifications that are there to driving down the road, not in Loudoun County, but in another place you might see a billboard, yeah. you know, road sign, anything, and, and you know, your email, in the columns of the, the news report that you read, everything. There's marketing in everything. And so when it comes time to make a decision, did you cut through? Are you memorable? And maybe you're memorable for being polarizing, but they're going to remember you at least. And there's something to that. And, I, and I, I don't want this to sound random. It's very calculated and it can be very smart to take your marketing segmentation to the polarizing place. Yeah. Is I think for a small business owner, it's a different calculation, obviously, than a global brand. Sure. But you know, I'll throw myself out there. When you know, we launched Pounce, it was me and my business partner. And we said, hey, we are two cat guys. And that's a little bit unusual, so let's lean into it. <laughs> and so the website, if you go to PounceSolutions.com, plug, <laughs> then you can see it is basically an entire website that is devoted to, it is not a very deep website. There's, I, I wouldn't say there's not a lot of effort put into it. We put plenty of effort into it. But it's not intended to change people's minds in a way that I would recommend for a client. Right. It is an expose on how to polarize people on a very light level. It's all about cats. And half the feedback that I get on the website is, I hate cats, but I want to work with you because you get it. And those are the people that I want to work with because they they understand. And is guess that, what? I hate cats. Exactly. And here we are. Here we are. See? See, there we go. I was like, when are you going to put a dog on your site? I'm a dog person. If you read if you read all the way down at the bottom, I have an Instagram famous dog. So so it's it's all the way at the bottom, but you have to get there, Renan. See, I know you haven't. Now get our there. audience wants to go and check out Pounce. That's right. But, but, exactly. But risk being polarizing because I, I, I've gotten just as much feedback of people who say, I love cats and I want to work with 
with you is I hate cats and I think you're funny. And so take those risks as, as it goes because, again, it, it's about being memorable. I could have stood up a website with white and blue, and I know that because white is clean and blue is trustworthy. So I can do all of the, the color psychology. I can put up the same boardroom picture with the same diverse audience of the same people writing on, on, a, on a whiteboard as the same other hundred agencies that are not fundamentally different from what I am. Right. But what's the difference here? It's me and it's him. It's the personalities behind it. And we wanted to make personality front and center in what we do. So absolutely, that, that's what we've leaned into from the start. Yeah. And, and so I, you know, I don't think polarizing has to be this big thing that people are thinking about. But I do know that people will remember that because it looks unlike anything else that you're going to see for a marketing consultancy firm. So It's really true. And that is one of the things that I really did like about it. I was like, oh, look how cool this is. This is not status quo. And, you know, I just wrote something about being um, like zigging when everybody else zags. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly how I've done it everything. If I'm on the ground and I'm going to, um, I'm going to pick an expo to go to. So I could go to like the wine events or I could go to the, um, you know, to like the, the beer releases and things like that, where all the other companies that, you know, are doing tours are going, or I could actually go to a health expo and uh, be there and talk about why some of these um, wines are better, cleaner, crafted. If you're going to drink wine, of course you don't want to drink to excess, but if you're going to drink it and you're concerned about some health, drink these clean wines that are made in these boutique wineries without all these added chemicals, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so I'm the only wine person at this health expo. And you're memorable. I'm very memorable. <laughs> Not only that, but then I get the person who's like, you know, alcoholism kills, blah, 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 number of people every day, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. How did you get here? Did you drive? Well, yeah, I drove. Oh. Guess how many people cars kill? It's not the car that's killing people. It's the way someone uses that car that kills. I said and alcohol is the same way. Everybody doesn't need it. Everybody doesn't like it or want it. But if you do like it and you do want it and you do want to do it in a better way, that's what I can help people to figure out. But thank you for sharing your opinion. Now move so somebody who wants to buy my product <laughs> can, uh, can get. But you can really, you can really shut people up that way. Your naysayers. But by the way, those naysayers now they come on and they generate content. I got this person who was so angry about drinking, and she was, uh, you know, a teetotaler now, and alcohol almost ruined her life. And you know, I was very gracious. I'm really glad you figured out how to handle that for yourself. Everyone doesn't handle it the same way. Even our biology can show that some people are more prone to or more susceptible to. That's up to the person to figure out. It's not my job to figure out whether or not my product works for you. So I'm just putting it out there. So I know that my product isn't for you, and that's fine, but it is for other people. So thank you for sharing. So me being nice to this person who was trying to dog me out, by the way, she never came on my page again, let me just say. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it just, but that's the point, right? You don't have to, people who you don't appeal to can sometimes actually fuel 
the ones who do. So you just have to be unafraid to make mistakes. You have to be unconcerned about something not working because everything doesn't always work no matter what you're talking about. So I love that takeaway. And you're giving me some ideas on what we can do to like enrich our listeners, something that we can actually give for free 99, y'all. You're going to get one thing um, for free 99. What do you think that would be, Brian? If you were going to give somebody one nugget that they can actually put into place to understand how much you know about what you're talking about. What would that be? Hmm. I think I think the most important thing that you could you could do today is really understand who not who follows you, not who likes you, not who claps for you, not who greets you at the door when you get home, not who's in the mirror. It's who gives you money. Understand that person, put them in a box, understand how they think. Other things that they like, you mentioned, you know, your ideal person is, is a Lamborghini enthusiast. Yes. They understand quality, right? And that's going to be different for everyone. And really understand, get inside the head of that one person who gives you money, and that is the most important thing you can do for your business. Everything else can build on that. That's where it has to start. And is the problem for a lot of business owners not understanding how to define that person? I think so. Um, I would actually, uh, and you can do this with, there's worksheets that are available, particularly if you work with us, but there's also, you know, you could scratch this on the back of a napkin if you want to. Put down basic demographics, who, what, where, when, why, where do they live, what do they think, what are they into, what are some other brands that are, you know, sort of adjacent to yours that you might be able to target, and give them a name and have them, give them a picture, I think actually defining who that person is down to that level will always be your North Star then because you can always come back and go, would Renee and Ashburn believe this? I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. I, need to, I need to think about this. And that can make every decision for your business. And again, you're, you're going to grow from there. You're going to add in your Brian's. You're going to add in your Aaron's. You're going to add in everybody else who is important to your business. But as long as you know who your number one is and that person who's going to give you money, then I think you always have something to point back to that will guide the rest of the decisions that you make. I love that. And I love the way that you are able to, like you said, you've got worksheets that can actually take people through that process. And now you know who, so we're going to show you where. And if you don't know how to do the how, we can do that how for you. And that is when you buy the shoe. (laughs) (laughs) Renee, Brian, thank you so much for joining the Social Collective today. It was awesome. Wonderful conversation. Thank you for having us. I don't know if we talked about how we are actually going to do an easy button workshop on June 14th, where we are coming together for a full day, like a VIP style sprint to success, where we are going to actually put tools into place with people who are ready to invest in their growth. So we're taking a full day. We're getting a beautiful room. We're going to have food, drinks, networking happy hour, headshots, pitching, you know, all the different aspects that you can, you know, get to, to really diversify your marketing, um, but at a price point that a small business can really afford. So we're doing that on June 14th, and uh, you can find the details at PouncePro.com. And one other thing to add on to that, that is the, uh, it's the long tail afterwards. So there's the sprint to go oh, yeah. and then, and then we hang around for the marathon that follows. So we, you know, we're doing several months of support afterwards. So you learn what you learn that day and then you can come back to us with questions. We can get into the weeds a little bit from there. So this is, uh, something that if you're 
planning out the next quarter of your business, this is a great way to sort of jumpstart things. Um, Do an intensive on knowledge on that one day, June 14th, as you mentioned, but then, you know, really invest in your business for the next three months as well that's built into the price. You know, it just occurred to me when you said that what the actual value, like the, the dollar value of what we're doing for the dollar value of what we're charging we might need to raise the <laughs> So get in now. That's right, get in now. Get exactly. in there before I do the math. That's right, before we change our minds. Before I chat GPT, how much should I charge for? <laughs> so, yeah, it's been really great talking to you both as well. So thank you, Aaron, thank so much. You, Aaron. Yeah, and no, thank you absolutely. to the social collectives yeah, for um, this platform where we can really help other small business owners. I mean, we all are in this together. And, you know, the 14th is going to be some group think. It's not, you're not in a silo. You're not in that low only place that entrepreneurs often find ourselves. You're with others who get it, who relate, and who are probably going to be folks you can do business with because they have your adjacent audience. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Aaron. Yep. So cool. Out.